of Genesis chapter 43. So glad to see all of you. I hope you've had a good week. A good week in the Lord. I hope the Lord has uh, blessed you this week, and He has. If you are still alive, He's blessed you. He even blesses His people when He takes them out of this world. Children of God cannot lose. If we stay here, we're going to serve Him. If we leave, we're going to go be with Him, right? Amen. All right, at this point in the story of Joseph... Today is our 68th study. I plan to continue with Joseph till the Lord comes. So this is our 68th study and we're in chapter 43. And at this point in the story of Joseph, as I'm going to show you this morning, the central figure is Benjamin. Benjamin is Joseph's younger brother. Joseph and Benjamin had the same mother, Rachel. Rachel, of course, is the woman that Jacob, you know who Jacob is? Jacob is Joseph's father. Jacob is the man whose name was changed to Israel. Jacob is the father of the 12 sons that became the 12 tribes of Israel. And Rachel was the woman he loved. Rachel is Joseph's mother and Benjamin's mother. Now, Jacob had another wife. He didn't really want her. He was tricked into marrying her. Her name was Leah. And Leah had one child after another, but Rachel was barren. And many, many years later, after many years of waiting and praying and fasting, in fact, at one time, She said to her husband, give me children or I die. And he said, am I in the place of God? I can't give you children. Only he can give you children. So you you pray to him, you look to him. And so finally she had a son and his name was Joseph. And then years later, and I'll tell you more about that, she had another son and his name was Benjamin. So at this point in the story, There's a famine in the land, and they are running out of food. They've already been into Egypt one time to get food. And when they went into Egypt, they met the governor. They didn't realize that the governor was their brother Joseph, whom they had sold many years earlier. And Joseph took one of them and put him in prison, Simeon, after he discovered from them that his father was still alive and that his younger brother was still alive. And he said, I want you to come back here and you bring that younger brother with you. Now let's start reading chapter 43, verse 11. Jacob, or the Israel, has been talked into going ahead and sending Benjamin into Egypt with his other sons. And their father Israel said unto them, If it must be so, do this. Take the best fruits in the land in your vessels. Carry down the man a present. By the man, he means the governor, whom he does not know is his son. He thinks his son Joseph is dead, but he has become the governor of Egypt. 
Take the man a present, a little balm, a little honey, spices, myrrh, nuts, and almonds, verse 12, and take double money in your hand, and the money that was brought again in the mouth of your sacks, carry it again in your hand, peradventure, maybe it was an oversight. Take also your brother, that's Benjamin, and arise and go unto the man. And God Almighty give you mercy before the man, that he may send away your other brother, that's Simeon, who he's holding in jail until they return with Benjamin. May he send away your other brother and Benjamin. If I be bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. Verse 15, and the men took that present and they took double money in their hand and they took Benjamin. And they rose up and went down to Egypt and they stood before Joseph. And when Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the ruler of his house, bring these men home, slay, that is, kill some lambs or some, some cows, get some steaks out, get some mutton out. And make ready dinner, for these men shall dine with me at noon. And the man, that's the servant, did as Joseph had commanded, and the man brought the men into Joseph's house. May the Lord add his blessings to the reading of his word, and let God's people say, praise the Lord. And you may be seated all of you may not realize it. I have said this for a long, long time, and those who have been taught the Scriptures realize it, but many do not, that your birth in this world is no accident. And as I'm going to show you, not only is your birth no accident, but the very name that was given to you is no accident. I challenge you sometime to go back and research the names that your parents gave you. And I say names because some of you might have a, a middle name. You know, in the old days when I was a kid, if your mother used all of your names when she called you, you were in trouble. She used every name and surname, you were in trouble. So a lot of us had those middle names. I guarantee you the name that you have will give you a general description of your character. Go back and look it up. You might go back, and, if you can, and find out why you were given the name that you were given. Well, I can tell you that beyond the human reasons, beyond why many times parents say, well, we want to name them after Uncle Joe or Aunt Sarah or Sister Sally or something like that, I guarantee you that beyond that, there is the divine purpose and plan of God in giving you the name and in bringing you into the world precisely when you were brought in and where you were brought in. Where you were born is no accident. The central figure here today, at least in our study, is Benjamin, who is Joseph's younger brother. 
I hope you have your Bibles open because I like to rehash things. I never know what we might remember from the last study, and I never know if we have visitors who maybe need to be clued in on where we are. But you will notice in chapter 43, verses 3 through 5, that the governor, who happens to be their brother, that they sold many, many years ago, Joseph, they don't know, they don't recognize him, the governor says in verses 3 through 5, don't come back before me unless you have that brother Benjamin with you. And uh, here in verses 3 through 5, we find Judah explaining that to his father. You see, in the first two verses, the father says, well, okay, boys, it's time to go back to the grocery store. They didn't have a Kroger and they didn't have a Publix. They had to go down to the Egyptian grocery store. So you wander on down into Egypt and you get us some food. And they said, well, Judah said, listen, the man said to us, verses 3 through 5, don't come back here unless you have your brother Benjamin with you. And uh, Judah said, uh, I mean, uh, Joseph, Jacob said, why did you even tell him you had a brother? And he said, well, he inquired. He asked us about it. Verse 7, he asked us about our state. He asked us about our kindred. He asked us about you. He said, is your father yet alive? And we answered him. And, and we didn't know that he was going to say, bring your brother down here. How could we know that? And then Judah, as we learned last week, Judah becomes the surety for Benjamin. Jurity, Judah says, I'll stand good for him. If I don't bring him back safely and securely, then I'll, blame, I'll bear the blame forever. That's verses 8 and 9. So Jacob finally agrees to send Benjamin with them. That's verses 11 through 14. Now we find in verse 16 that Joseph, the governor, invited them to his house for dinner after he saw Benjamin. That's verses 16 and 17. Then we find they were taken to his house and prepared for a noon meal. You look at verse 24, verse 24. The man brought the men into Joseph's house and gave them water and they washed their feet and he gave their asses provender or food and they made ready the present against Joseph. They got their present ready, the things that they had ready to give to Joseph, some, some uh, fruits and some other things and to give their money back. For they heard that they should eat there. That's verses 24 and 25. When Joseph arrived, he engaged them in talk regarding their father. Look at verse 26. When Joseph came home, they brought him the present which was in their hand under the house, and they bowed themselves to the earth. Now, every time you see that bowed themselves to the earth, you should remember the dream that Joseph had when he was 17 years old, 
in which he said, you know what, I had a dream and a bunch of stalks of wheat. It was my, my stalk and all of you guys were represented by a stalk of wheat and all of your stalks bowed to my stalks. And they said, oh no, we'll never bow to you. And I've always said, don't tell God what you won't do. As soon as you tell him you won't do something, you're going to do it. Before he gives you some things that maybe you're praying to him about. So they bowed themselves, and then he began to ask them. Verse 27, he said, how about your dad, your old man, the old man of whom you spoke? Is he still alive? And they said, thy servant, our father, verse 28, is in good health. He is alive. And notice now, they bowed down again. <laughs> they bowed down their heads, and they made obeisance every time they talked to him. They're bowing down. And every time they bow down, they're doing what they said they'd never do. Now, when Joseph saw Benjamin, this is his blood brother, after a brief inquiry, he was so moved he had to excuse himself to weep. Let's look at this. Verse 29. He lifted up his eyes, that's Joseph, the governor. He lifted up his eyes, and he saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and he said, is this your younger brother? Now, he knew he was, he knew who he was, but he's acting, he's playing dumb. Is this your younger brother of whom you spake unto me? And they said, he is, and he said, God be gracious unto thee, my son. That's what Joseph said to his younger brother Benjamin. And then Joseph made haste, look at verse 30. For his bowels did yearn upon his brother. That's an old English way of saying his heart was moved and he was about to start crying right there in front of him. And so he sought a place to weep. He went out quickly. He said, I just remembered I've got to do something. And he went out of the room and he wept. He was overcome. And he washed his face, verse 31. And then he went back out. And he refrained himself, and he said, set on bread. He said, it's time to eat. Now, this narrative regarding Benjamin begins in chapter 35. Would you turn back to Genesis chapter 35 for a minute in your Bibles? I don't want to take for granted that anybody knows all of the details. Genesis Chapter 35. In Genesis chapter 35, that chapter is marked by five major occurrences. God speaks to Jacob in this chapter three times, and three people die in this chapter. Now, if you'll notice, verse 8, verse 8, Deborah. Rebecca's nurse died. Now, who's Rebecca? Well, Rebecca is Isaac's wife. And who's Isaac? Isaac is Jacob's father. Jacob, that now has 12 sons, his, his father was married to a woman named Rebecca. So her nurse, she's already gone. Rebecca's been gone. But her nurse died in verse uh, 8. 
Then if you notice in verse 28 and 29, Isaac himself died. Said the, the days of Isaac, verse 28, were 104 score years. He was 180 years old when he died. He gave up the ghost, verse 29. He died, he was gathered unto his people, being old and full of days, and his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. But something else is very important here. Look at verse 16. Verse 16 of Genesis 35. They journeyed from Bethel or Bethel, and there was only they were only a short way before they got to Ephrath. And Rachel, who was pregnant, went into labor. She travailed and she had hard labor. Verse 17, it came to pass when she was in hard labor that her midwife said unto her, fear not, you will have this son also. Now this is the one, this is the woman that was barren for many years. And then she prayed and the Lord gave her Joseph. Okay, Joseph was her first son. So now she's pregnant with a second son many years later. And she goes into labor while they're traveling. And verse 18 says, It came to pass as her soul was in departing, for she died. She died in childbirth. She died in giving birth to this boy. That she called his name Benoni. Or you may pronounce it Benoni. The Bible I have has Benoni. But his father called him Benjamin. She called him Benoni, and Jacob changed his name to Benjamin. Benoni means son of sorrow or son of pain. Benjamin means Son of the right hand. I was interested in this because when I was born in the last century, <laughs> my dad named me after his dad for two or three days. So for two or three days, my name was Daniel. I guess he figured out I wouldn't do well in the lion's den. My grandfather was named Daniel, Daniel Wright, W-R-I-G-H-T, Daniel Wright. So for two or three days, my dad named me Daniel, then he changed his mind and said, I'm going to make him a junior. So I became William W., what's that W stand for? Woodrow. Back in those days, they named kids after presidents. My dad, everybody always called him Woody. And he was named after Woodrow Wilson, <laughs> the president. So for two or three days, my name was Daniel. And then he changed it to William, and I became a junior. So I've had a name change, just like this fellow had a name changed. His name was changed from Benoni to Benjamin. From son of sorrow, son of pain, to son of the right hand. 
And that's why I say there's a, there's a human story behind your name and mine. And there's a divine reason for it. Why did my father change my name? I don't really know. He never did tell me, and of course, I never thought to ask him about it. Why do you think Jacob changed his son's name from Benoni to Benjamin? Well, I'll offer you two suggestions. There are more, but one is perhaps he didn't want to be reminded of his wife's death every time he called his son's name. Because when he called his name, if he left him Benoni, he'd be saying, I'm calling you son of sorrow. I'm calling you son of pain who caused your mother's death. And perhaps closely related to that, he didn't want his son to be reminded. He didn't want Benjamin to be reminded that his birth affected his mother's death, that she died giving birth to him. But whatever the reason, I can promise you that the name change was no accident from the divine perspective. And I'm going to give you some reasons why this morning. Scripture is full of folks whose names were changed. Look in Genesis chapter 32. Hope you have your your textbook. I mean, if you went to a math class, you'd have to have your textbook. You went to a history class, you'd have your textbook. Well, we're in Bible class this morning, so I hope you got your textbook. Now, we've got Bibles scattered throughout these pews, so if you didn't bring a Bible, you can pick up one of those pew Bibles if you want to. Genesis chapter 32. Genesis chapter 32. Jacob, verse 24 wrestled, it says, with a man. He was wrestling with God. Anytime you see a human being or you see God or an angel represented as a human being, maybe we can study this one Tuesday evening, this is the second person of the Godhead that we know as Jesus. This is what we call a pre-incarnate appearance of our Savior. That is, the incarnation is when he came into the flesh, when he was born of Mary. Before he came into the flesh, he made appearances at various and sundry times. And this is a time that he, the, the person that Jacob is wrestling with here is the one who later came into the world as Jesus Christ. And he wrestled to the breaking of day. He's been in prayer. He's about to meet his brother, and he's upset about it because he hasn't seen his brother in 20 years, and he, think his bro- he thinks his brother Esau is going to probably try to kill him and everybody else because they cheated him out of the birthright years ago. When he saw, verse 25, when the man that he was wrestling with saw that he could not prevail against him, he touched the hollow of Jacob's thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint. So when Jacob went there that night, he was walking fine. He could run the 100-yard dash and 10 flat. But when he left after wrestling with God, he was limping. I'd rather limp with God than run full speed without it. 
And he said, Jacob said, verse 26, let me go. Or this man said to Jacob, I'm sorry. This man said to Jacob, let me go for the day. It's almost daylight. And Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Jacob was desperate. I have to have your blessing. And uh, this man asked him, what is your name? Verse 27. And he said, my name is Jacob. Well, in modern English, you know what Jacob means? It means cheater. The old English word is supplanter, deceiver, cheater, liar, or in our class, sinner. What's your name? My name is Sinner. My name is Jacob. He said, well, you'll no more be called Jacob. I'm going to change your name. I'm going to call you Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men, and you have success. So Jacob means cheetah, but his name is changed to Israel, which can mean God prevails, or it can be prince with God and with men. Now, I won't have you look up all of these. I'll read some of them to you. But in Genesis chapter 17, God, when Abram was 99 years old, appeared to him and said, I'm going to change your name. Abram means exalted father. I'm going to change your name to Abraham, father of a multitude. This is Genesis 17. Verse 4, as for me, behold, my covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be a father of many nations. Neither shall thy name any more be called Abram, but thy name shall be Abraham. For a father of many nations have I made thee, and I will make of thee exceeding fruitful, and I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee. Moses changed Joshua's name. His name was Oshia. Uh, Hosea, it should be pronounced. Hosea, he changed it from Hosea to Yehushua, what's Joshua. Hosea meant salvation, and Yehushua means Jehovah is salvation. And you can read that in Numbers chapter 13, verse 16. Pharaoh changed Joseph's name to Zathnath Paneah, remember that? Joseph means God has added, or may the Lord give increase. Zathapayanea means savior of the world and revealer of secrets. God changed Abraham's wife's name from Sarah to Sarah. That's all in Genesis chapter 17. When he changed Abram's name, he changed Sarah's name. And you'll have to go back and uh, check this out, but he used the same Hebrew letters to change Abraham's name that he did to change Sarah's name. (laughs) Sarai means princess, and Sarah means princess of multitudes, or it could mean nobleman. God said to Abraham, as for Sarai thy wife, this is... Genesis seventeen fifteen. Thou shalt not call her name Sarah, but Sarah shall be her name. And I will bless her, and I will give thee a son of her, and I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations, and kings of people shall come out of her. 
You know, in the New Testament, we've got a fellow named Saul of Tarsus that we, know, we call him the Apostle Paul. Saul means desired and prayed for. You know what Paul means? It means little or small. He was a little man. Paul the Apostle was a little man. I, I read after one guy that said he was a little short fellow with a big belly on him and he had bow legs and a big nose. He said God made him unattractive so people wouldn't be swayed by the attractiveness. We elect presidents based on how they look instead of what kind of character they have. We're more persuaded by how people look than what's inside in their heart. We're moved by that. You remember Simon Peter? His name was changed. Simon means pebble. Changed to Petros, or Peter means rock or stone. Gideon's name was changed to Zerubbabel. Solomon, his name means peace, but God called him Jedediah, which means beloved of Jehovah. You remember Daniel and Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah? They changed Daniel's name to Belteshazzar. They changed Hananiah's name to Shadrach. They changed Michelle's name to Meshach, and it changed Azariah's name to Abednego. All those names were changed. That's in the book of Daniel. Now, Scripture is full of famous Benjamites. Jacob called this boy that his, that his wife called son of sorrow or son of pain, he called him son of my right hand, Benjamin. You know that the first king of Israel was a Benjamite? Saul was a Benjamite. You remember when David had to run from his uh, son and this guy came out and started throwing rocks at him? His name was Shimei. He was a Benjamite. You remember the little book of Esther? Esther was a Benjamite. Mordecai the Jew who directed Esther, the queen, was a Benjamite. And Saul of Tarsus, the one we call the Apostle Paul, he was a Benjamite. One of the two tribes, along with Judah, that basically became the Jewish people, Judah and the Benjamites, that is, they stayed true to the Lord when the rest of them wandered out. Moses blessed Benjamin, the tribe of Benjamin, when they were entering the promised land because Moses made them teachers of the law and the priestly representatives of Israel. You can read that in Exodus chapter 32. So you can see there's a lot the Bible has to say about name changing. Uh, a lot of people who had their names changed in Scripture. Now, what's the spiritual significance here? Let me just hit on two or three things and we'll be through. First of all, there's a practical lesson. His mother died giving him life. In other words, his life, Benjamin's birth, affected or resulted in her death. And what that teaches us is every single one of us should thank God for our mothers who hazarded their lives to give us life. 
And we ought not to wait till Mother's Day to do that. We talk all the time, Brother Calvin down here, we talk about his mother. When his mother was only about six or seven years old, she stepped on a nail. And back in those days, there wasn't a lot they could do about it. They had to cut her leg off. And when I met his mother, she walked on a little crutch. And you know what that did for her? It made her as tough as the nail that had caused the loss of her leg. She was tough. And she raised all these kids <laughs> with that crutch. We ought to thank God for our mothers. Number two, Benjamin, in the change of his name, is a type of the first Adam and the last Adam. Benoni means pain or sorrow. The first Adam brought sorrow into the world. But the last Adam, our Lord Jesus is called the last Adam in 1 Corinthians 15, he brought life. And you know what? Without Benjamin, as far as these brothers know, without Benjamin, they can't get anywhere. They can't get any food. They can't have any audience with the governor. They can't survive. So Benjamin is the means of their salvation. So the first Adam brought death, but it was through him that the one was born who would bring life. In other words, Benoni had to become, he had to become Benjamin. Here's another lesson. He whose birth caused the death of his mother became, as I've just mentioned, the means of the life for his fathers and brothers. By going to Egypt with his brothers, he put his life at risk. Now, I want you to put yourself in Benjamin's shoes. When they took that first journey to Egypt, his father would not let him go. And his father would not let him go because he said, look, many years ago something happened to Joseph. He thinks Joseph was eaten up by a lion, but his son sold Joseph. And he doesn't know that. So he doesn't want Benjamin to go into Egypt. But on the second journey, he said, okay, you take Benjamin. Now, let me ask you a question. You put yourself in Benjamin's place. What if Benjamin had said, I ain't going? I ain't going. I know what these, these guys are, but they may be my brothers. They're a bunch of liars. They're a bunch of schemers. And I don't know what will happen to me if I go. I'm not going in Egypt with them. Wild and woody place of Egypt. I'm not going in. Certainly not going in with them. You know what? You don't hear one complaint from him. You don't hear one refusal. And he had no idea what price he might have to pay. I know somebody else who opened not his mouth. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 6, All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. And he was brought as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, he opened not his mouth. Benjamin didn't protest. He's a beautiful type of Christ here. In the next place, he is typical of several spiritual blessings. I think if you take these two names, Benoni and Benjamin, I think they can speak of our two natures. 
the flesh and the spirit. One portends to life, one to death. One to pain, one to corruption. One to blessing, and one to cursing. If you live after the flesh, your name is Benoni. And death is all upon you and around you. And you'll never know anything in this life. And you'll never know anything in death but pain and sorrow. But if you walk in the spirit, you are a Benjamin. And the Lord will use you to save others as you submit yourself to him. I think these two names, Benoni and Benjamin, speak of the, our two births. The first birth that we had, the birth of our body. And the second birth we must have called the new birth, born again. Jesus said you must be born again. So we are born Benonized, but we are born again as Benjamins. We are not what we were. We are new creatures in Christ and we walk in newness of life. I think these two names can signify the old covenant of law and the new covenant of life. The Bible says in many places, but specifically 2 Corinthians 3, 6, that the old covenant, the Old Testament, the law has to do with killing and death. But the Spirit gives life. Free from the law, happy condition, Jesus has bled and there is remission. Cursed by the law and bruised by the fall, Christ has redeemed us once for all. So the Benoni points to the law and the Benjamin points to Christ in the new covenant. The Lord has changed our names, he's changed our nature, he's changed our family, and he's changed our destiny. If we are in Christ, we have a new name. The Apostle John agrees with that sentiment. Listen to this. I'm going to read a lot of scripture, but I'm almost through. You can write it down if you want to. Revelation 2.17 He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him that overcomes, I'll give of the hidden manner, and I'll give him a white stone, and in the stone a new name. A new name written, which no man knows except he that receives it. Revelation 2.17 Revelation 3, verses 11 through 13, he says, I'm going to Give you a new name. The name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven for my God. I write upon him my new name. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear what he says to the churches. Finally, what does the name Benjamin mean? Benjamin means son of the right hand. My goodness, I could keep you here till one o'clock and read you all the passages that have to do with the right hand. I'm going to read a few of them for you in closing. We've learned on our Tuesday night study about what's called an anthropomorphic statement. That's a statement in the Bible that describes God with human body parts, like the eyes of the Lord, the hand of the Lord, the feet of the Lord. God, as a spirit, in the essence of his being, does not have eyes and hands and spirit and, and ears and feet. 
So these are anthropomorphic statements. Benjamin means son of the right hand. Where is our Savior now? He's at the right hand of God. Listen to this now. Matthew twenty-two twenty-four. Jesus said, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Matthew 26, 64, Jesus said to the high priest, Hereafter you shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Mark 16, verse 19, The Lord, after he had spoken to his disciples, was received up into heaven while they were looking, and he sat on the right hand of God. What did the apostles preach? Acts chapter 5, verse 31, they preached God has exalted Jesus with his right hand to be a prince and a savior and to give repentance and forgiveness of sin. What did Stephen see, the deacon who was stoned to death? What did he see when he was dying? Acts chapter 7, verse 55, he being full of the Holy Spirit, looked steadfastly up into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. How do we know we're not condemned? Romans 8, 34, who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. How should we be living? What should we be seeking? Colossians 3.1, if you're risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sits on the right hand of God. Where is the Lord now? Hebrews chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. He's the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person, upholding all things by the word of his power. When he had purged When he had by himself purged our sins, he sat down on the right hand of the majesty on on high. That's Hebrews chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. Some people say Jesus is an angel. Church of Mormons says Jesus is an angel. But here's what it says at Hebrews 1.13. To which of the angels did he say at any time, sit on my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool? Do we have a high priest? Where is our high priest? We have a high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of majesty in the heavens. Was the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ, was that accepted? This man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. Sitting down is a picture of everything being completed. While we're passing through this world, where should we be looking? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who was for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down on the right hand of the throne of God. And finally, is Jesus in charge of everything in this universe? We read in the scripture, he has gone into heaven and he is on the right hand of God, and angels and all authority and powers are made subject unto him. My friends, Jesus is God's right hand, and Benjamin is a picture of that. Now, perhaps your life began with sorrow. Perhaps you feel that your life has been marked by pain and sorrow, that you were born Benoni a son or a daughter of pain. 
But by the grace of God, through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, you can have a change of heart and a change of nature and a change of person and a change of name with God. Benjamin is first a type of our Lord Jesus who sits on the right hand of God, who saved his family from their sin. But then he's a type of everyone who came into this world of sorrow, but escaped its curse through the redemption of the Son of God. Quite a story behind that boy. Without him, his family can't get anything. (laughs) And without our Lord Jesus Christ, we can't get anything from God. He is our Benjamin. He is our right hand. When we reach up to the Lord, we need a right hand. It'll reach all the way up to heaven. Our right hand is the Lord Jesus Christ, who seated seated at the right hand of God, who makes intercession for us. Simple lesson. May the Lord add his blessing on the teaching of his word. Let's stand together. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, you're just like Benjamin, when he was born, Ben and I is written over your brow. Son of sorrow, son of pain. You know, people just don't understand that the key to happiness, I wish I knew how to say this, the key to real self-contentment and happiness is the Lord Jesus Christ. And until you have him in you, and until you're in him and he's in you, you are not going to have peace and you're never going to be happy. Never be happy, never have any peace. Not in life, not in death. He is the peace of God. He is our salvation. He is our right hand. He is God's right hand who reaches us and our right hand who reaches him.